Hello and welcome to Sunnybrook Christian Church, as Mr. Joe just said. My name is Zane, um, and I am the children's minister here for about the last five months, and we have thoroughly enjoyed our time here at Sunnybrook so far, my wife and I. Um, And we, I I tell you what, we love the whole idea of orange um, that this church preaches so heavily, and that's just this idea of, of the church, the yellow, the light aspect, partnering with families the heart, the red piece, to create this orange atmosphere, this context in which kids can develop into disciples of Jesus. And so, um, man, that's what I get to do every single week is to partner with amazing people like you um, to help just kind of push our kids towards Jesus, to elevate their faith uh, to new levels, to, to help in this maturity aspect. And Oh my goodness, it's amazing. It's wild and it's crazy and it's loud and it's cold when you go to freezing cold soccer games of fifth grade girls and it's even wilder when you go to their school and eat lunch with them and get hit in the head with a roll or something. I thought that only happened at Lambert's. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's just crazy fun. Um, and we thoroughly just enjoy getting to do life with you. And I, I'm actually really excited that um, Jim asked me to preach this morning because this is kind of like children's church, to be honest with you, or at least that's how it is in my mind. Um, we're we're going to open up God's word, and we're going to look at some truths from God's word, and we're going to figure out how those shape and mold us into the people that God has asked us to be. So if you ever wonder what children's church is like, well, just come back and visit and I'll recruit you to work it. But it also looks a lot like this. Um, The the only difference for me this morning is that instead of dealing with kids, I'm dealing with big kids, right? So um, this morning I get to talk to you about uh, readiness in the kingdom of heaven. And so if you have your Bibles, I'll throw you a sucker and say, good job. Just kidding, we don't do that anymore. Um, But I'll, I'll... If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Matthew chapter 25. That's where we're gonna be today. Um, Readiness in the kingdom of heaven is kind of like a young man who really, really wanted to win a race. Okay, and and let's just pretend, if you'll play along with me here for a second, let's just assume or pretend that that young man's name was uh, Zane. Okay, so... uh, Zane, you guys are better than children's church already. I love it. Okay, so Zane one day heard about this amazing race. And so as anyone would do, he decided to join his local junior high track team. And he remembered showing up for the first day of practice. He got there and he was so excited for this race. Just so enthusiastic, so ready to run in this big race and to win it. Everything in him said he wanted to win so badly. And he was excited. He was ready to do it. And so he uh, got to practice the very first day. And his coach um, sat them all down and said, hey, this is how we are going to prepare for this big race. And, And the coach taught them proper running technique. And because Zane was a soccer player, he had no idea that there was a proper running technique because who knows that, okay? And and, and she said, this is how you run. And then she said, this is how you run as a team. This is how we're gonna work together. And if you do all of these things, you will be ready to win the big race. And so as soon as she was done talking, she sent the team off into the woods to run. And so Zane, full of enthusiasm and so ready to win this race, so excited and driven, started to run. But as he ran alongside of one of his very good friends, something caught his little eye. And there, tucked away in the trees, he saw it. 
biggest, most amazing tree you have ever seen. And he looked at his friend, and there was a twinkle in both of their eyes. And they said, do you know what I'm thinking? Tree fort. And so as the runners ran, Zane and his friend slowed their pace just a little bit. And as soon as the last runner rounded the corner, they immediately darted off into the forest. And they began to gather sticks. And they began to gather branches. And they began to assemble this amazing tree fort. But before they knew it, they looked down at their watches. And they realized it was time to be back at school. And so they ran back to the school. The next day, they showed up. And the coach again sat everybody down and said, this is how you prepare. And this will make you ready for the race. She said, this is the proper running technique. Remember to do this. This is how we run as a team. Remember to do this. And if you do all of these things, you will be prepared and ready to run. And so she sent them again to practice all the things that she had taught. And once again, Zane and his friends, so ready to win the race, so excited to win, started their run. Good pace. And then, out of the corner of his eye, he noticed a tree. And he and his friend again slowed their pace, let the last runners round the turn, and immediately darted off into the woods and began to build and build and build and construct. And this went on for a couple weeks. Actually, it went on for about a month and a half. Until, until the most epic tree fort that you have ever seen had been constructed, full with multiple levels, giant windows, even a catapult. If Zane were here right now, he would say it was pretty impressive. But then the day of the big race came. And something was different about that day because as Zane woke up, there was a funny feeling in his stomach. And he finally realized that that was fear because it was time to run. And so Zane and his friend hopped in the bus and they drove to the side of the race. And they got out and the coach sat them all down and said, ladies and gentlemen, you have prepared well. You know proper running technique. You know how to run as a team. And you have practiced and so you are ready for the race. Zane didn't feel so ready that day. So the judge said, on your marks. And all of them took the line. And Zane was really nervous in that moment. And the gun went off, and feet began to pound the ground. And Zane finished dead last. And I remember, and he would say, (laughs) in that moment, he was full of regret. And there was so much pain in that moment for young Zane. Because he was so excited to win that race. And yet he knew he hadn't prepared well. He hadn't practiced well. And so when the time of reckoning came, he was found wanting. He fell short. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning there is a desperate need for us to understand biblical readiness. There's a desperate need for us to understand that the kingdom of heaven is here, but it's also coming. And you better be ready for it. We're going to see here in a minute that that in the text, readiness is actually this this idea of being watchful. It's this idea of being alert and not being caught off guard. It's like 
a, a soldier stationed on top of a wall, always alert, always looking, always being ready to see if the enemy is approaching so that when that time comes, because the enemy will come, but when that time comes, when that moment happens, they're ready. The fortress is prepared. The fortress is guarded. It's being watchful. It's being alert. It's living in anticipation of something to come. I want you to understand that. That readiness is living in anticipation of something to come. As believers and followers of Jesus, we live in anticipation of the perfection of the coming kingdom that is described for us in Revelation 21. I don't know about you, but I'm excited for this thing that we call heaven. I'm excited for heaven. And, and, and actually, I'm so excited for heaven that I live with, with that image in my mind every single day. I, I live in anticipation of the perfection of what God has promised us. I, I don't know about you, but like, I am so sick of brokenness. Aren't you? I'm so sick of getting it wrong all the time. Like, I want to be a good husband, and yet I fail all the time. I want to be a good children's minister, and I can't ever seem to do it right. I want to lead them in worship, but I sound like a coyote in a trash compactor. It's awful. And I'm so ready for heaven. And because of that, God has placed this desire within me, this, this deep-rooted desire to always look for it. At every turn, every time I get to hang out in kids' church, I see the face of heaven. Man, seeing your kids worship is, is literally the coolest thing I've ever experienced in my life. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And, and that's the cool part is that every day God is giving us pictures of heaven to remind us, hey, be ready because something greater is coming. You think this is good? <sighs> oh. just, just wait for what I've been preparing for you. It's called heaven. So as Christians, we, we need to be watchful. We need to not be caught off guard. We need to be living in anticipation of that which is to come, heaven. But here's what I believe this morning. I believe that readiness doesn't happen without practice. And I need you to grab a hold of that. That readiness doesn't happen without practice. This is the doing piece. This is living out daily what Jesus has asked us to do. You know, it's crazy because we actually get this right a lot. In normal everyday life, right? I mean, we, we would be amazed if, if a musician showed up to like a Sunday morning or something like this without practicing, right? Actually, we would probably get on to him and be like, hey, you're super lazy. Why didn't you prepare well for this? Why didn't you practice? You sounded terrible, right? Maybe you're as judgmental as I am. I don't know. Worship team sounded great this morning, though, because they did practice. But, you know, we get this so right most of the time. You know, we, we teach our kids, hey, if you want to be really good at a guitar, then go ahead and practice all the time. You know, we're in the midst of the NCAA tournament right now. You think of how many free throws that those guys shoot every single day to make sure that they're ready for the big shot, right? So, I mean, the, this whole idea of practice isn't something that's foreign to us, and yet there seems to be a disconnect in, in, in our daily life and our walk with Jesus, isn't there? Because it's not ridiculous to think, oh, I'm going to go shoot 200 free throws today. I'm going to shoot 500 free throws today because I want to get it right. And yet, how many of us say, well, I want to memorize God's word today. I want to figure out what Jesus has said in his word. I want to do this constantly because I want to get it right for the kingdom of God. Because that matters. 
You know, I, I, I don't even know who's in the final four right now, to be honest with you. Like, that, that's how much all their training does. But I know that there is a day that is coming where heaven's going to come. And, and I want to get that right. Because nobody's going to forget that. Right? Nobody's going to forget eternity with God. And, and so it's crazy to me the disconnect that we have. That we are well practiced in things that eternity doesn't care about. If I can put it bluntly. We are so well practiced in things that eternity does not care about. And yet the things that matter, we almost are, are, it's just like a second thought to us. And so people, I I have to tell you that that practice doesn't make perfect. Okay, it it doesn't make perfect. But we are called as Christians to practice until God does make it perfect. You see, I want you to understand the difference there. It's not that practice, the the whole idea of us doing this over and over and over and over again until we get it right, like that's not the point of this. The point is that the more that we pray, the more that we read scripture, the more that we serve those around us, God does something in us. God is the one that is work within us. And in doing so, we call that sanctification. Okay, it's the process of sanctification. That's why we practice, so that the image of God can be created in us every single day. That every moment we pray, we begin to look a little bit more like Jesus. It's why we believe in the repentant belief cycle here. That God is changing our mind and shaping us to respond to him how he would respond. So you can't be ready if you don't practice. But I also believe that you can't practice without preparation. And what I mean by that is this is the knowledge piece, knowing what you're actually supposed to do. When, when I was uh, in Joplin, Missouri, I actually had the, the incredible opportunity to be a high school soccer coach. Um, the problem was I was a high school soccer coach at a uh, high school that had won the state championship in football for like seven out of the last 10 years, which meant we were really bad at soccer, like really bad. Okay, but here's the deal. Every single day I would go in with a training session plan, okay? And I would tell my boys, hey, boys, this is the drill that we're gonna do today. And this is how this drill fits in with this. So we're doing passing because you need to know how to pass in soccer. And in doing that, we're going to show you how to possess the ball, okay? We don't want you to give the ball to the other team, okay? Like all of us, like, of course, okay? And so this fits with this, which fits with this, and this is how, this is the great game plan that we're gonna have going into this. The problem was there was a disconnect for my boys between what we said and what they actually did. Okay, we lost a lot of games 7-0. So maybe it was coaching. But anyway, here's the cool thing is that God has actually given us that, right? Like God has given us his game plan. It's called the, the Bible, Right, not only has God given us the overarching picture, he's actually given us the steps of what it looks like to follow him, to be kingdom-minded people, to be people that are about the kingdom. Like God has given you everything you need in order to be successful, for you to be effective, for you to be a kingdom worker here on earth. Like God is in the business of shaping you to be about eternity, and he showed you how to do that through this. Okay, the problem is we're, we're more about other things. Again, we, we just settle for temporary instead of eternity. Like most of us know things that don't matter, and yet I wonder how, how many of us genuinely know what this word says and what God is calling us to on a daily basis. Like I desperately want to know God's game plan, and I desperately want to know how to live it out. I, I don't care who's in the final four anymore. I just, I just don't. 
Probably because Duke lost, but I, I just don't. I want to be more about eternity than I do the things here. And so my, my belief this morning is that God has called us to readiness, but readiness doesn't happen without practice. Practice doesn't happen unless we know what we're supposed to practice. We have to be about God's word. We have to be about knowing what God has called us to every single day. Here's the cool thing, is that over the last couple of weeks, God and through, through Jim and through chapter 24 has been preparing your hearts for this. I mean, if, if you would, go back with me here into chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, open them up um, and start in verse 13 of chapter 24 with me. It says this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Sounds a lot like practice, doesn't it? He who practices the things that I call them to do every single day, that's the one that's gonna be saved, right? Be ready. Jump down with me into verse 42. It says, therefore, stay awake, Stay awake, for you do not know the day, what the day of your Lord is coming. Jump down then, a couple verses to verse 44. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour which you do not expect. Be ready. Stay awake. Then again in verse 46, blessed is a servant whom the master will find doing so when he comes. Again, all of these little verses, all of these little things, God has been preparing your heart for this message to say, hey, those who are ready are those who have stayed awake, have prepared well, have practiced well, and are ready for my coming. You're about my kingdom. And so the cool thing about this text is that it actually carries over into, verse 20, into chapter 25. There's some big similarities that we need to understand before we jump into 25, though. So truth number one that we find in both chapter 24 and chapter 25 is this. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Like that, that, that's not debatable. That's not like an argument that we can have. Like you can try, but I'm gonna win because it's what the text says. Like Jesus is coming back, people. And, and we have to live in anticipation of that. Like that truth shapes how we live on a daily basis. It has to. Because it's a fact Jesus is coming back. Truth number two is that we have no idea when. That's kind of the difficult piece of this, is that yes, we know the truth that Jesus is coming back, but, but the problem is we, we don't know when. And so because of that, truth number three, we have to be ready at any moment. There, there's no time for us to let our guard down. There's no time for us to be about the things of this world. We, we always constantly have to be ready for Jesus to return because we have no idea when. That's the truth. Okay, so Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, so we have to be ready. And because of those things, Jesus says there will be a judgment. There will come a time of judgment where those of you who have been about my kingdom will continue to be about my kingdom in eternity forever in heaven. Like those of you that have prepared well here on earth, those of you who have been ready for eternity here on earth, like congratulations, you get to continue to worship me for all of eternity. But for those of you that settled for this world, like why, why would you want me now? Why, why would you want me now? And so because of that, like there, there will be a separation and you will no longer be with me. So Jesus begins to explain this in chapter 25 and he starts off talking about his second coming in a parable. And we know that because he says the kingdom of heaven is kind of like this. And I want to remind you of what parables actually are, what they mean, what they do for us. Um, 
If you need more information on this, go back and listen to John or to Jim's uh, sermon on Matthew chapter 13. It's in our teaching archive, and Jim does a masterful job of working through all the parables in Matthew 13. Um, so if you want to do a little bit more research practice, then go ahead and do that. Um, but one thing to remember is that parables are taught with one big idea in mind. So Jesus is getting at one central theme here. Okay? I think there's a lot of times when we read stuff like this and we want to like dissect it and pick apart all these little different nuances and stuff. Um, but, but Jesus is really after one thing. And that one big thing here this morning is that I'm coming back, you better be ready. Okay? So everything that we talk about for the rest of this sermon, understand it's in light of that. That Jesus is coming back and you, my believers, you, you better be ready. You better be ready. Okay? Um, Jesus also taught... It, multiple people with multiple parables. And there's a lot of times where you see Jesus like teaching the Pharisees and, and he teaches a parable and it confuses them. Why? Because they don't have ears to hear. They're not about his kingdom. And so this morning, if, if this parable is a little bit confusing to you or if it's hard to understand, I'll let you be the detectives here and put together what that means. But for those who have ears to hear, they're, they're pretty clear and encouraging. And so my prayer for you this morning is that when you hear this truth that Jesus is coming back, again, it is really simple. Jesus is coming back, be ready. If that's confusing, I don't know how else to make that simple, okay? But for those who have ears to hear, this should be encouraging. You should hear this and it, it should well up within you joy and peace. There, there should be a peace that goes beyond understanding because you're not worried about eternity, we're excited and we're joyful and we're anticipating eternity. That, that's what this should do within us. And this one is describing what kingdom living looks like. And so if you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles and we'll start in verse one. It says this, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet a bridegroom. Okay, let's pause there for a second. And I want you to understand the culture, what, what, what's going on here. So typically in, in the Jewish culture, what would happen for, for a marriage ceremony is it would be this like massive multiple day event in a town, okay? And, and, and the marriage ceremony itself would actually happen in the bride's house. And so th this wedding procession of the groom and all of his friends would kind of make its way through town all the way to the bride's house. And they're waiting on them would be these, uh, these virgins, these young women, okay, lighting the way, letting them know what's going on. And then after the marriage ceremony, this giant procession would weave its way all through the town, all the way through the town, back to the groom's house, where there would be this huge party, just massive party that people were invited to, to celebrate this amazing marriage and all of the, it'd be amazing, Okay. And so what, what these, these young virgins, what their job is, is, is essentially to light the way for the groom. To, to say, hey, we, we've got one job. We're going to wait on the groom. We're going we're gonna to make sure that the groom knows where it's supposed to go. And, and typically this would happen at, at night, okay? Sometimes even like deep, deep, deep into the night. And so the idea of like carrying these lanterns, carrying these little clay pots that are filled with oil in, in, in this fire, it, it would be to, again, to light the way for the groom to make his way to the party, okay? So that's their job. Their, their job is to light the way. Their job is to prepare the way and to celebrate with all of them. So picking up in verse two, it says, five of them were foolish and five of them are wise. Now we come to the interesting part. We realize here in verse two that there's something different about these 10 virgins. 
Five of them are wise and five of them are foolish, as the text describes. And so we have to, I mean, that begs the question, so what makes them foolish and what makes them wise? Well, let's read on in verse three and four. It says, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamp. Ah, now we see. Now we see that the wise took extra oil with them. Because again, remember, this is like a little clay pot. There's actually two schools of thought. There's, it's like a little clay pot that you would constantly put oil in and it would burn and all this other stuff. Or, or the other one, it would be this giant stick with an animal hide tied around it that you would constantly have to douse with oil to keep it burning. In both of those things though, there was a constant need to refill the oil. Okay, that's key. I want you to understand. There's a constant need to be refilling, to pour into. So then it says in verse six, but at midnight, oh, nope, verse five, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Now again, this isn't something that's surprising to us in the text, especially if you know the culture. It wouldn't be surprising that these young virgins would be falling asleep because again, remember what's happening here. Okay, they're waiting at the groom's house for the procession to make its way back. And so again, you know, when, when, when a young guy gets married, he's kind of excited about it, right? I married so out of my league. I married so well. Like if you've met my wife, you know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? And, and I remember like right after my wedding, like I wanted to show her off. I was like, hey, number one, she really, really loves Jesus, like a lot. And two, she's really cute. And so again, like you have this moment of excitement though where you greet all the people in your town, okay? And so it's no wonder that it takes a while for this procession. Oh, hey, it's good to see you. Thank you for coming. It's amazing. (laughs) See you at the party, okay? You know, and they're going through greeting everybody. And so there's, it's not a surprise that there's a delay here in the text, okay? And so the young virgins, they fall asleep. But then it says in verse six, but at midnight, And I want you to understand, midnight typically in scripture refers to a time where like it's least expected, okay? That's what Jesus is getting at here in this parable is like, this is gonna happen when you least expect it, okay? But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom. Like, can you imagine the excitement they begin to feel? Like everything you've been waiting for is finally here. Everything we've been anticipating is finally here. Come out and meet him. Verse seven, then those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. And here is where the foolishness of the five virgins is exposed. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready for this delay. Again, there was a need to constantly be pouring into this lamp to keep it lit. And yet they are found wanting. There's no oil, no oil. So it says in verse nine, the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for yourselves, go to the dealers and buy some. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. And if you've been listening well these last couple weeks, I hope that that image of a door being shut stirs in your heart and in your mind the image of Noah that Jim talked about last week back in chapter 24. Can't imagine what it was like in the days of Noah 
when the, the door of the ark was finally shut and rain began to fall, foundations of the earth burst open and water flooded the earth. And those who weren't ready were swept away. And if, if you have ears to hear and are listening well, you would probably connect those two. Judgment. It says in verse 11, Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord. I want you to remember how they address him here. Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I don't know you. Gosh, breaks my heart. And what Jesus is saying here, it's not that like, I don't have a cognitive understanding of who you are. Like I know, I know your name, I know who you are. But what Jesus is saying is I'm disassociating myself with you. I don't know you. You have no part in me. Like I look at the scope of what you've done and you were found wanting in my time of need. You had one job to be here ready for me, ready for the bridal party, and you weren't. And because of that, I, I don't know you. You're not a part of this. You're not a part of this celebration. And so Jesus says, Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. So although the idea of readiness is consistent in these couple of chapters, there are some pretty big nuances that Jesus throws into this parable that keys us into what kingdom readiness actually looks like, though. So if we look at some differences here in 24 and 25, number one, we find this, that all 10 virgins initially professed Jesus. I don't know if you caught that, but all, all 10 of them had this job, right? All 10 of them were waiting on the bridegroom to come. And in fact, down at the bottom of it, we see them address him how? Lord, Lord, right? So, so to some extent, there, there's a cognitive understanding of who this guy is. They, they know that they're supposed to be in this relationship. And so what, what Jesus is dealing with here isn't, the old lady, the, the, the grandma that's on her deathbed and is finally realizing, like, my life has been terrible. Like, I've lived a life of sin. I've never claimed Jesus. But now I'm being confronted with sin for the first time, and I begin to understand I got this wrong. Okay, Jesus isn't addressing that situation, so, so don't hear that. What Jesus is addressing, and I need you to catch this because this is a big deal, Jesus is addressing those who say they believe in him and yet their lives in no way, shape, or form show that. That's what he's addressing. He's saying, hey, you, you 1110 to 1225 worshipers who, who come in here and you worship with everyone and you pray and say some stuff and then you leave and nothing has changed. You're the ones I want to talk to today. You're the ones that I want to address because here's the thing, that's not how it is in my kingdom. You can't claim me, go do your own thing, and then expect at the end of time, I'm going to be like, hey, I know you. Like, come on, come to the party. Like, that's not how it works. We don't get this out of jail free card at the end of time to say, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. It's like, yeah, me too. You don't get in. Sorry about you. Oh, and it 
that breaks my heart to think that. That there's some of you even sitting in this room right now that Jesus is looking at saying, give me your life. Give me your heart. I'm sick and tired of you playing games with me. Thinking that you can claim me and do your own thing. That's not how this works. That's who Jesus is addressing today. He's saying this is not a 9 to 5 commitment. This isn't a, a, an 11, 10 to 12, 20 commitment. No, it's far better than that. And Jesus actually calls this type of living foolish. And it will make you think back to Matthew chapter 7. If you want to flip there really fast, this is what it says. Jesus actually uses these words, Lord, Lord, wise and foolish, back in Matthew chapter 7. So you have to read this. It says, starting in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's, that's who gets in, the one who actually does it, the one who practices this every single day. Because on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. <laughs> it doesn't seem like Jesus is leaving a lot of room for you to do your own thing and then claim him. So honestly, there's, there's no room for that. Jesus actually goes on in verse 24 and he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, everyone who, I don't know, prepares and practices, hopefully you caught that, will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock and founded on truth and founded on Jesus Christ but anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. Doesn't practice them. Will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was its fall. And Jesus is challenging our mindsets. Saying, if you're not about eternity now, you missed out. Like, why, why do you think that just because I come back, you're going to be about eternity then? Why do you think that if you're not going to be about me now, you're going to all of a sudden be about me for the rest of eternity? That's what Jesus is challenging. If we're more concerned with the things of this world, we're not going to be concerned with Jesus. Wise and foolish. Second thing that it speaks to is a delay. Okay, unlike in chapter 24 where Jesus comes back early, in this one Jesus tarries, and it's a little bit longer, and I think this speaks to the constant march of days, and I think this exposes how so often we get so excited about something, right? How many of you guys have started a project, and yet like weeks later, it's still not done? I was supposed to build a dog bed. I don't even have the wood, okay? I was excited about it though, really excited about it. That's my wife. Okay? But here's the thing. This is what it speaks to is that because time continues to travel on, that we have this idea that like at the beginning, how many of you guys think back to the first time that you encountered Jesus? And you thought, I'm going to do amazing things for the kingdom. I'm going to be a world changer. I'm going to be a kingdom worker. I'm going to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. And yet now you're sitting here going, oh, that sounds kind of hard. It's pretty difficult, Zane, what you're asking. 
I don't know if I want to do that. 1110 to 1225 is real convenient. See, that's what happens, is that the longer Jesus delays, the more we become just comfortable with the muck of this world. Like, we become so engrossed by it and so accustomed to it that, like, we're not startled by sin anymore. Like, even sin that's in our own lives. And when we become comfortable, it leads to complacency. So not only do we become comfortable with sin, we begin to accept it. And it becomes a part of who we are. And finally, we become so distracted that we just lose sight of what Christ has first called us to. And that's the challenge for us today, folks. That's the challenge with this whole idea of biblical readiness, is that it's something you've got to do every single moment. Preparation never stops. Practice never stops. And it's hard. Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It's hard to get rid of our selfishness. It's hard to ignore the world and to follow Jesus, but it's worth it. Is an eternity worth it for you? So in light of this, how, should, how then should we live? Based on all of these things that we've said this morning, how then should we live? Well, I, I think it, as Jesus said, we prepare well. Starts off by you gotta know God's word. You've gotta be more about the things of God than the things of this world, people. I would desperately hope that that you know God and you know the power of his resurrection, that you know who he is more than you know the things of this world. Like I, that's just my prayer, that's just my hope. That that your mind is prepared because here's the scary thing, and this matters to me because I'm a children's minister. Maybe it matters to me because I'm about the kingdom of God. But here's the truth that I want you to catch, that unprepared people can't prepare people. Unprepared people can't prepare people. And if it's our job to go and make disciples of all nations, if you're not a disciple first, if you're not about God's kingdom first, there's no way that you're gonna be a world changer. And parents, that speaks for you in particular because you have the amazing and incredible calling to be disciple makers in your own home. I can't wait for the day that I'll be a dad. I can't wait. But it's so scary to me at the same time because here's the thing is that kids notice what your game plan is. Kids notice your priorities. Kids notice what you're about. And if you're more about the things of this world than the things of God, they're gonna pick up on that. Parents, if you're not preparing well, there's no way your kids are gonna be prepared. College kids, you want to change a campus. There's no way for you to change a campus if you're not prepared, if you're not immersed in God's truth. So the first thing, how then should we live? We should prepare well. We should be about the things that God is about. We should know well what God is calling us to. Second thing, though, is that I think we have to practice well. We have to actually do the things that God has called us to do. It's so hard to get off the couch sometimes, isn't it? To serve, to love, to reach. It's hard sometimes. But I've learned in my short life that things that are hard are typically worth doing, right? So practice, is, it's kind of like this guy, Kyle, that I know, who loves to take church vehicles down to the gas station and fill them up. Why? Because it gives him a chance to talk to the guy behind the counter. 
Why? Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, be salt and light. Kyle says, I can do that. All I gotta do is fill up a van. That seems pretty easy, doesn't it? Maybe a little bit more radical. It's like a guy named Ethan and a girl named Audrey who right after they got married decided that there's a lot of people in Japan that don't know Jesus. And so they moved to Japan Why? Because God said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Those are people that are about the kingdom. They're the ones that practice this. (laughs) This is one of my favorites. It's like a guy, it's like a guy named Mike, who spends every Wednesday night getting beat up by second grade boys. Why? Because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven belongs to those like this. Belongs to these. Those are all easy things that we can do. Maybe moving to Japan seems a little bit radical, but in light of eternity, it's not. This is how Jesus kind of ends this section. If you want to skip down all the way to verse 31 of chapter 25. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. I am so excited for the enthroned Christ, are you not? Before him will be gathered all nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left and the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by the father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me a drink and I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you came and visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in? Or, Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. What Jesus is simply saying there, hey, hey, when you've been about me, when you've done the things that I've done, when you think like I think, you got it right. You've been about the kingdom. When you have my mind, when you have my heart, when you have my attitude, when you have my love, you get it right. You're a kingdom person. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for you, for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty You gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then you will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. People, what Jesus is saying here this morning is that when you're a kingdom person now, you're ready. You're ready for the coming of the kingdom. When you're about the things Jesus is about now, then you're just ready for eternity. But those who are not, those who think that they can play this little game with Jesus and kind of sneak their way in at the end, oh, how disappointed you will be. So in conclusion, what are you going to do with Jesus today? What are you going to do with Jesus today? I guarantee you he's saying something to you. He's either saying, 
If you're already ready, you're in. Hear about my kingdom and continue to endure till the end. Or are you saying, stop playing games with me? Cut it out. Recognize that I am king and I am Lord. And I deserve every submissive action. So what are you going to do with Jesus today? Let's pray. God, I pray that your truth exposes in us the things that we are just so falling short in. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. God, and I celebrate with so many in this room who are already ready and are just so hungry and thirsty for eternity, Father. I pray that you would continue to allow us to have that deep desire. And yet, Father, I also pray that that your truth would cut deeply into our hearts and expose the areas where we are so wrong. God, challenge us, convict us, make us more like you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Um, If you would love to continue this faith conversation, there's gonna be some people up here that would love to have a conversation with you. Other than that, you guys are dismissed. Go be about the kingdom.